What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 270 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Great to be back with you folks this week. I got a lot of kind of notes to get through before we start. Uh, First note would like to say, uh, again, thank you to Andrew Lydon and Ben Baptiste for coming on the program last week. Great to talk some Patriots with uh, two of my best friends. All three of us love the Patriots, so it was great to uh, have all three of us uh, recording. So uh, if you've not gotten a chance to listen, you can do that and listen on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, also, as you may have noticed, later this week we got a great guest uh, returning after a... Uh, he's <laughs> This guest has been away for a while, but he is returning uh, as he will be attending the uh, UFC 292 in Boston later this month. So that will be our guest. Really excited. Uh, that will likely be out for you guys on Saturday. Uh, but will be out. And then also, programming note, I will be um, away for the next week. Uh, so Guest Friday obviously will still happen this week, but uh, no show next week, no Guest Friday. Um, so I'll likely be back on, um, yes, August 21st. So taking next week off. So just wanted to make that known. So we're going to jump into it going to jump right into it. There are a lot of Patriots thoughts that I wanted to get to uh, today. Um, One of them has been kind of, uh, (laughs) it's just kind of a burning thing that I really want to talk about. um, And it's kind of started to eat away at me. So we're just going to start. So this is actually not what I was initially going to start with. But there was um, a a comment that was made yesterday, uh, post Patriots practice, Uh, by Kendrick Bourne, um, and he was, I forget what the actual, what the question was or what the the prompting was, but his answer was uh, stink, stank, and stunk. Now, for those of you that didn't uh, get that reference, that was uh, something that was said on a Boston sports program uh, earlier in the week by a uh, Patriots reporter when asked about the uh, Patriots wide receiver group and that was the response about what their receiving group looks like or whatever the question was and so uh, Kendrick Bourne uh, gives it back which I'm happy that he did because I think that for far too long certain members of this of this media feel like that they can say whatever they want about players and be able to pretty much not have any, not consequences, that's not the right word, but just kind of like this idea that they can pretty much say whatever they want about certain players. And it's like, okay, sometimes the criticism is fair. You know, sometimes if players don't play well in certain games, you know, you have every right to say that they didn't play well or whatever colorful language you want to use. That's fine. But I think it's starting to kind of get old of certain people, particularly in the Patriots media over the last couple of years that are kind of, I think, taking liberties at this team because of where they are as a franchise that no longer are they Super Bowl contenders. No longer is Tom Brady here. And so I think that some media members feel like that they need to, you know, take some swings at the organization, take some swing, take some swings at certain players. So I'm glad that Kendrick Bourne gave it back because it's about time that the Patriot players kind of give it back because it's kind of gotten old and gotten annoying. And I bet it's annoying for the Patriot players too, you know, and sure you could say, oh, okay, why are they so sensitive? Okay. Well, you know, it's just the players see stuff like that. They're not immune from seeing stuff like that. Like they're human. You know, they're they're aware of, of comments like that. And it's just like, 
I don't know. I, I don't think you can be you should be surprised if you make a comment like that and someone, you know, gives it back to you. You know, I just I don't know why this has to be oh, you know, you're being so sensitive. It's like that's pathetic and that's lame. Like I'll just speak personally. Like that's just not the way that you should be behaving as a journalist. Like I'm sorry, that's just not the way that you should be doing it. I don't want to, you know, sit on my high horse or anything like that, but it's like, I don't know. I don't, I guess I just kind of am always surprised with just like kind of the state of the media in this city that it's almost like behaving in that sort of way is almost expected and it's almost encouraged in a way. And it just is like, I don't know. I just like that's not really the way that you should be covering a professional sports team. You know, I understand criticism and fair criticism is fair, you know, and that's 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 legitimate. But it's just like you're going to make comments like that in training camp before we've even seen this team play a game. Like, it's just like to me, that just screams of I need to say something to get attention. And it's just like. That's kind of just what it is to me. So I, I don't know. I just feel like it's not too much to ask for reporters to have like integrity covering their teams. And it maybe isn't a shot directly at that particular reporter, but there are some other people that cover this team that I think are very clearly, very clearly don't work with you know, integrity, because there are a couple examples that I can pull where it's like, okay, you know, I just, it's just too bad that it doesn't seem like this particular team gets fair enough coverage. Now, when they don't do well, and they're like, not a good football team, I've called them out. Plenty of people have called them out. That's not what the issue is. But I think the the overarching thing is it's just like there are members of this media that I think are always trying to look for ways to get attention to themselves, look for ways to drive the knife in at this Patriots team that is now, you know, after 20 years of being the most dominant team in professional sports, now they're not as good. And so people think, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to take your swings now because they're not as good. So it's just, the whole thing is just ridiculous. And it just, it's something that I needed to get off my chest because it really was, was bothering me. So, you know, bet, bet that the Patriots wide receiver room is going to use that for motivation the entire season. So it's just like, okay, you want to say things like that? It's just like, don't, you know, start getting into this defensive, oh, why are you being so sensitive? It's like, you know what you're doing. You, you know exactly what you're doing. That's kind of the other part that's so funny to me, that it's like when you make comments like that, shouldn't you expect that people are going to come back at you? I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I hope that the Patriots receivers use this as motivation. Not that they really need any extra motivation, because they're pro athletes, but it's like, okay, you know, I, I think that the wide receiver room, room is going to have a really good season. And I don't think a lot of people think that they're capable of anything. So we, we shall see. Uh, just some other notes, you know, I don't really want to get into like specifics about certain practices. You know, I think each and every day, Mac Jones and the offense, there seems to be some like progress, some improvement you know, maybe different things that you're not seeing or different things that you're seeing each day. You know, I think yesterday, Mike Gusecki had a great reception, great one-handed catch where debatable whether he was in bounds or not. But, you know, I think you're seeing progress. You're seeing different things each day, you know, and I think it's a positive because I think you really seemed like there wasn't much progress that was made a year ago. Um, during training camp and up to the first preseason game. So 
it's good to see that there's improvements, you know, good to see that both the offense and the defense are doing well, you know, certain groups, certain guys are standing out, which you think is really what you want to see. You know, we talked about it on Guest Friday last week with Andrew Ben and I, but I think having position or having the offense and the defense be able to kind of push each other, I think it's really important that you want to see both units looking good and kind of working in harmony if that if that if if that makes any sense. Uh, but I think there's a lot more positivity around this team, despite what certain members of the media want to say. Um, I think that it's shaping up to be a season that is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, but my concern, and I think I've been very clear about this for the last couple of weeks, the thing that really could take this season off the rails is the performance of the offensive line. Um, and more importantly, the health of the offensive line, because I think that's the most important thing and the thing that really could be the difference whether this is going to be a team that surprises or if this is a team, this is a team that struggles. Um, because I think you look at some of the last couple days in practice, you know, Cole Strange has been out for the last week, I think suffered an injury last week, is not a, is not doesn't appear to be serious. You know, you have to wonder if the Patriots are just holding him out out of abundance of caution, because I think that could be part of the reason why, you know, Owenu is not back. Trent Brown seems to be limited. You know, Cole Strange has been out. It could be that the Patriots are trying to be as careful as they possibly can with this offensive line because they know it's, you know, the most important group on the team. It's not the wide receivers. It's not the quarterback. It's not the defensive backs. It's the offensive line. So, you know, it could be that they're trying to be as careful as they possibly can and pulling guys out of practice or giving guys days off and things like that. You know, I think really the only battle that's been worth watching is, you know, Riley Reef, Connor McDermott on that, on that right tackle spot. Um, but everywhere else, you know, I think is pretty set, assuming that those guys are healthy. You know, Strange at the left guard spot, Owenu at the right guard spot, Brown at left tackle, and then Andrews at center. Um, but I think you would hope that that's what's going on, and it's not anything more serious, because if it is, you know, it's kind of a kind of a risk that they're taking going into the season with the offensive line that may be as thin as it is. You know, it's hard to know, you know, what Owenu's status is on the PUP. You know, Cole Strange, when does he start getting back into practices? You know, does Trent Brown get into any preseason games? Does he start to be a little bit more, you know, not limited um, in camp? I do think that there's a legitimate possibility that, like Judon and like Stevenson earlier in camp, they might just be trying to monitor Trent Brown and trying to, you know, make sure that his conditioning is as good as it possibly can be because he is so important to the team. So, you know, I think on the other side of this, you know, the injuries or the unavailability of the starters on the offensive line, it's given some of the backups an opportunity, you know, some of the rookies and some of the guys that, you know, may not be a part of that starting offensive line group, but it at least, you know, gives them some reps. So I think, you know, watching out for that in the preseason opener, you know, what different combinations do they use? Um, that's kind of one of the points that I wanted to make about the opener on Thursday against the Texans. You know, which offensive linemen are playing, you know, with the starters? Which linemen are playing with the backups? You know, I don't know how many starters are really going to play in this game. But I think keeping track of the line combinations um, is going to be something to pay attention to. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting. So return to more thoughts about the preseason game. But I did want to kind of talk about uh, Matthew Judon, who, you know, I think like Trent Brown or Andre Stevenson, I think was working with the training staff to 
you know, not push himself too hard in the first couple weeks of training camp and, you know, trying to focus on his conditioning because I think, you know, he has a history, especially in the last two years, of not being as effective later in the season. Um, you know, kind of being a player that comes out with his hair on fire in the first couple weeks and then kind of just slows down. So I think it's very smart that they're operating this way because I think you want him to be at his best every single week. And he's not getting any younger. You know, he's 31. So you want to kind of take advantage of his peak performance as much as you can. So I think that that's all this was. I don't think this was a hold-in or a contract thing. I don't really think it was because I think he said that he's been working with the trainers and I think made it clear that this was not a contract situation, you know, despite what, again, certain members of the media wanted to make it out to be. I don't really think that's what was going on. I mean, I guess we don't take players at face value anymore. So, you know, that's, that's cool. I mean, it's just basically talking about this as a hold-in of any sort is basically like, oh, okay, the player's lying. And it's like, not really what was going on, but whatever, if you need to, you know, make it into a bigger story than it needs to be, you know, fine. I, I'm not going to do that, but other people can, I guess. Um, so other than the offensive line, some other things that I'm curious about in this preseason opener, I think, you know, the main one is, does Mac Jones play? You know, I could see pros or cons, or pros and cons for him playing. You know, I think the pro is he gets in some game reps with this, you know, new offense that they're working in, can work through some reads, can do some, you know, motion, audible, whatever, you know, can kind of go through some plays. Maybe he plays a series or two. Obviously, the con is, you know, you don't want to risk him getting injured. You know, I think that's really the key thing. So I would think that if Mac does play at all, it's a series or two. I don't think it's more than that. You know, I think Zappi's going to play a good portion of this game. I think McSorley will probably play a lot of the game as well. Um, to me, I think the real story for this game in terms of the offense is the running backs. You know, who gets used most? Kevin Harris, Pierre Strong, two guys that I think are very, are worth paying very close attention to, um, to see which guys get used more, you know, what situations do they get used in. I think that the running backs are going to be interesting to see. It may affect whether the Patriots decide to bring in an outside free agent at that position, you know, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, whoever it is, you know, this game could very well dictate their kind of feelings about, oh, okay, do we feel like we need more at that position? Um, I think some of the young receivers, Booty and Douglas in particular, definitely worth watching in this game. I think that they're going to get quite a bit of playing time to get to see, uh, to kind of show what they can do. Uh, I think defensively, Keon White is someone I'm interested to see how, what he can do, you know, assuming that he plays. Um, I can't imagine that, you know, Judon or some of the main main starters are going to play in this game. You know, I think you think about like, you know, Judon, Bentley, Jonathan Jones, some of the key guys, maybe they play a little bit in some preseason games, but really guys like that to me only need like one game to get ready. You know, I think the other guys are going to get a lot of looks, you know, Gonzalez probably plays a decent amount, but I guess I'm curious, you know, if he's going to be start part of that starting group at cornerback, does he play a good amount in the preseason? Do the Patriots kind of manage his snaps? Uh, because you want to be as careful as you can that, you know, no one suffers a serious injury. You know, I think that injuries are part of the game and they probably will happen, but you just don't, you just want to avoid a, you know, catastrophic season-ending injury. You want to kind of avoid that. So, you know, I think for that reason, the Patriots may be pretty conservative in terms of not playing a lot of their regular guys. Um, so, yeah, I think finally 
special teams. You know, who's doing the kickoffs? Who's kicking the field goals? Are they accurate? You know, who's doing the punting? You know, punting and kicking and kickoffs are definitely going to be worth watching. Who does them? You know, are they going into the end zone? Are they going out of the end zone? Are they returnable? You know, things like that. So uh, definitely some things to watch for, but I think it is just the first game. You know, there's probably a chance that not a lot of the starters play, but I think it's all preseason is to me is an opportunity for the guys who are on the roster margins. And so I think, you know, it's, it's a good showcase for guys like that. And I think, you know, if Mac Jones and the starters play, maybe it's that final preseason game um, just to kind of get a dress rehearsal and maybe play a half. But again, I don't really think that a lot of these guys need a lot of, you know, ramping up in, in a game to get ready for the regular season. I mean, maybe there's something to be said for giving guys a feel of how to work the new system in a game situation because, you know, they've only been practicing. They've only been practicing against themselves. So, you know, it gives you an opportunity to kind of feel, give you a game feel on what they're going to run. So it'll be interesting to see. So Patriots, Texans, Thursday night at 7 p.m., uh, game is on CBS, so you can watch it there. Uh, and you can also tune into the McCordy twins, the McCordy twins who are doing a, a Manning cast type of broadcast. Uh, that can be seen on patriots.com and then wbz.com. So if you are unable to watch from a TV, you can pull open your laptop and listen to the uh, McCordy twins. So that will be pretty interesting to tune into if you're interested in that. So I think we're going to move on and get to the part that I've really been dreading for the better part of the last week. And that is talking about the Red Sox. Um, it's been, um, I mean, to be, to be quite honest, this week could not have gone any worse for this team. And I'm just very disappointed in a lot with this team. You know, I think, first off, you know, if we talk about the trade deadline, I know that there is a lot of a lot of thoughts about that. You know, I think filling one of their needs was kind of something that they needed someone, you know, to fill in middle infield. So Arias coming over from the Brewers, you know, I think that really being their only trade you know, I guess technically they got that guy from uh, the Giants, uh, Chovera, who's a reliever, got uh, lit up yesterday. So, you know, um, hard to know what their thought process is. Because I think, you know, going into the deadline, it was pretty clear that, okay, you know, you've been getting by with some of these openers doing okay. You know, I think openers kind of doing what they're supposed to. But I thought that the whole point was, you were using this to kind of bridge to the deadline and you were going to try to get a starter. And some of the guys got traded, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, Jordan Montgomery, you know, those were kind of the guys that, okay, were kind of the big names. And in all likelihood, you weren't going to be able to acquire any of those guys. You know, were there other guys that got traded that you could have brought in? Sure. Rich Hill, I guess. Uh, but you know, I think I just was surprised um, that they weren't able to get something done uh, to get a relief pitcher in, or get a starting pitcher in here in particular and kind of, you know, help this rotation stay afloat until Chris Sale got back. You know, obviously it didn't work out. You know, it's, it's hard to know if the Red Sox were in talks with other teams about certain players. It's pretty much impossible to know. Um, but, you know, it just is, is disappointing. I think just in the sense that, okay, where this team is still in the thick of the playoff chase, you know, there could be something to be said for bringing in something to kind of inject some energy into your team. And I can, I can understand that. Um, however, 
you know, and this is, this might be hard for people to hear, and I know that I may contradict myself a little bit, but this is a Red Sox team that, yes, for the month of July, they played really good baseball. You know, there was a stretch earlier in the season where they played really good baseball, but I don't think that those stretches were indicative of what this team is. You know, I know that I was getting excited about how well they've been playing, but you know, at the end of the day, all season long, what they've been is an inconsistent ball club, a pretty flawed, you know, fundamental team, not a good defensive team, not a good team on the base path, base paths, a team that kind of has a penchant for making, you know, really, really stupid mistakes. And nothing was more stupid than Saturday afternoon, you know, Red Sox trailing five to four, one out, runners on first and second. You know, Connor Wong lifts a fly ball to left center. Looks like it's going to go off the wall. It doesn't. It's caught. Ball gets thrown into second base. Reese McGuire is halfway between home and third and gets doubled up and ends the game. And it's just, that can't happen. I know that a lot of people think that, you know, the third base coach is at fault there. Carlos Fabless, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't see a close enough replay to see what he's doing, but Reese McGuire has to know the situation in the game. There's no excuse for it. You have to know the score, the outs, all those things. And I just, I don't understand what, what, what happened. And I just feel like that's a microcosm of what this team is just kind of a, a stupid baseball team. And I think they've been getting by for the month of July, you know, getting some good hitting, getting some solid pitching. But it's just, I think they kind of fooled us a little bit into thinking that they were a contending team. I think clearly what you've seen over the last week plus, this is not a team that should be anywhere near the playoffs. You know, losing seven out of eight and... I think pretty much just giving up yesterday. And it just, if, if, if you think that it's because of the trade deadline and, you know, guys really wanted the team to add, which they, I think they did. And is this kind of a quote unquote message to the front office that you guys didn't help us screw you? You know, is that a possibility? I guess but I'll tell you right now, if that is the case, it's that that's terrifying. Because then that means that you or your organization is truly broken. If you're getting to this point where players are sending a message to the front office that we're not going to try. I mean, that's just, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. You know, you're treading on really dangerous waters. So it's like, I know that this weekend was bad for this team, but it could get much worse. Um, so I think, you know, people want to say, oh, you know, the death of the Red Sox, they're, you know, finally done. They're not doing anything. Sure, but it's going to get a lot worse if this, if this type of stuff continues. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't want to speculate, but it sure looked like this team kind of just is not giving the the – good enough effort and you know I just think sure if the players wanted the front office to improve to the roster that's legitimate but at the same time is that really how you're going to act as professionals that because you don't get what you want you're going to just kind of give up and stop playing it's just like I don't know that's kind of sad to me and I thought that this team you know, had better leadership than that. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if it just is a case of Toronto coming into Fenway and beating you and crushing you because they've been dominated by you all season. Red Sox came into this three-game set undefeated against the Blue Jays this season. So could part of it be that Toronto is pissed off about losing to you all season and they're coming in to send a message? That's totally true, you know, and I think clearly... They're a dangerous offensive team and are capable of ruining any team's
pitching staff or whatever you want to say. So I think kind of it all just came to a head um, this weekend. And I think, unfortunately, whatever is going on at the Verdugo kind of coincided with that as well. And I think that, you know, if there's something going on where Alex is, you know, I, I just I just have no idea what's going on and I don't want to you know, speculate about what's going on, but just the fact that he was expected to be at the ballpark for a certain time wasn't there, and it just is like, I, I don't know. Kind of feels like maybe they should have traded him. You know, all the rumors maybe got to him and are affecting him in some way. I don't know, but it's just really disappointing uh, with this team that I think tried to kind of hold on as best they could, but I think very clearly getting swept by a team that, you know, you're competing against, you know, may very well kind of spell the end that, okay, it's not going to happen this year, you know, playoffs, and you're just going to have to play out the rest of the season and play for pride. And I hope that they can do it because it's like you're professionals and, you know, the effort needs to be there for the next 51 games, even if you're not going to the playoffs. There's still things you can build off. You know, there are guys coming back from injury that I think you hope that they can kind of get back into a groove so that they're ready to go by the time next season starts. You know, and I just, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that, just a lot of questions about this team and the direction of the franchise and things like that. And, you know, I think... You know, I think Heim Bloom has done done well um, at some things in his tenure here. You know, I think he's done a good job at building this farm system. You know, I think that their farm system's in a really good spot, but the team on the field in Boston hasn't cut it. And they've kind of never been a consistent team. They've never been a team that, you can pinpoint and say, okay, this team is going to contend and compete every single year. And that was the goal, I think, with bringing Bloom in, you know, considering his success with Tampa Bay. And maybe the thought was, okay, you're going to build a consistent winning team. But he's not done that. And I personally think that if it's another last place finish, if this team finishes well under 500, he should probably be let go. Um, and I know that it's my opinion that I think he kind of just does whatever ownership tells him to do. And ownership doesn't care about winning. They don't care about winning anymore. They care more about redeveloping around Fenway Park. They care more about the Pittsburgh Penguins and you know Liverpool. So I just think that ownership cares more about building a money-making enterprise than building a championship team, you know? And so I think for this team to go anywhere, to make the real changes that they need, they need to clean house and clean it entirely. You know, new ownership, new general manager, new manager, and like majority of new players. You know, I think... You identify some guys that can be part of a young core, but everyone else should be fair game to be let go uh, because it's kind of just reached a, a point where it's kind of embarrassing that the same errors keep happening. And I mean, not to kind of stay negative, but it's like this series against Toronto was eerily similar to that, you know, 28 to 5 loss last year where it kind of just felt like the team gave up. So, you know, I, I hope that it doesn't get worse, but it kind of seems like it will. Um, you look at their schedule, you know, toward the end of August and September, it's one of the hardest in baseball. And so I just, this concern that it could get worse. People think that this is rock bottom. Oh, it could get much, much worse. You know, this team could be 20 games under 500 by the end of the season. And I think if that's the case, then probably everyone needs to go. Not that that's going to happen, but, 
you know, we'll see. Um, it sounds like Chris Sale will be back soon. You know, Trevor Story as well. Uh, Whitlock and Hauk. You know, you get some of those guys back. Get them some, you know, games under them so that they're ready to go by next season. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to for the rest of the season. How do those guys come back? How do they perform? You know, Story in particular, you know, looking forward to see how Casas does the rest of the season. He's continuing to be just a really good professional hitter. So, yes, there are some things that you can look forward to, but I think in terms of being a competitive team, those hopes have kind of gone out the window, unfortunately. And I was one of those people that I was holding on to be optimistic as long as I could, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen for this team now. Who the heck knows? They have seven games left on this homestand against Kansas City and Detroit, two of the worst teams in Major League Baseball. I'm not going to sit here and say the Red Sox are, are done, they're over with, and nothing's ever getting better. You look at a team like the Chicago Cubs that I think was way, way out of it a couple weeks ago. They've won a lot in a row, and they're, now they're kind of in the driver's seat or very close to a wild card spot. You know, could the Red Sox take advantage of this? Possibly. You know, I think it's, it's when you think things are at their rock bottom and at their absolute worst that sometimes a team shows you what they're made of. I'm not confident about this particular team, but it's sports. Anything can happen. You can rip off eight straight wins. Like, things can happen. Things, whenever they're at their absolute worst, you know, it's crazy things can happen. So I'm not going to bury them, but I'm not confident in them uh, either. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. We're going to get to some revolution talk. Uh, speaking of a weird week, uh, the Revolution have had a very strange week. Uh, Bruce Arena being placed on leave pending an MLS probe that he used. Um, uh, insensitive and inappropriate remarks. Uh, so it's an investigation by Major League Soccer into these allegations. I don't think anyone knows the extent of any of these comments or what they're referring to. So you kind of just have to see. I think a report on in the athletics said that there is no reason that was given to the team, so it's kind of a very weird, strange situation. So, you know, Bruce Arena is away from the team. Richie Williams um, is now the running the team. So, it was an interesting week. You know, George Petrovic. There was some thought that maybe he was holding out, um, but it does seem like he's back training with the team and should play tonight in the Revs. Uh, round of 16 match against Corretero, which is a uh, Mexican team in the round of 16 of the League's Cup. And, you know, considering both of those things with Bruce Arena and George Petrovic, the Revolution competed in the League's Cup last week um, and won a pretty emotional game uh, in penalty kicks. 2-2, Revs won in penalties, rallying from a 2-0 deficit in the first half. Gustavo Bo scoring twice, but the Revolution uh, did not escape unscathed in this game. Uh, Brandon Bai apparently suffered an ACL injury. He's out for the season, so that's really a tough blow. Carlos Steele also uh, was hurt in this game. Unclear about his the severity of his injury, but you know, definitely just a tough blow for Brandon Bai, who I think personally was having one of his best seasons with the Revs. So. It's definitely going to test some depth, you know, that's for sure. And I think, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see what, what this team is made of. But yikes, I mean, it just seems like this team is doing, you know, so well for a while, you know, in the second place spot in the Eastern Conference, you know, winning a couple of League's Cup games. And then you get this news about, you know, your top goalie and your coach, you know, how do you respond? And I think the Revs responded and responded really, really well. You know, rallying from a 2 nothing deficit, winning in penalty kicks, 
you know, Andrew Farrell scoring that winning goal. And you could just, you could sense the emotion in him after he scored. And I think that the team knowing that they're going through, going through some adversity and, you know, dealing with whatever it is that's going on for Serena, you know, dealing with a serious injury to a teammate, to a guy that's been really important to their success this season. And, you know, uh, you could tell, I think it meant a lot to that team uh, to win that type of game. So, you know, the round of 16, you know, likely is going to get more challenging. Um, but that is tonight, 8 o'clock. That's a game at Gillette, and it's actually on Fox Sports 1. So if you don't have MLS season pass, someone like myself, you can tune in to FS1 to watch the uh, round of 16 match tonight. So the Revs, again, you know, still playing in the League's Cup. MLS action returns on August 20th. Revs will play Nashville SC. So if they can beat Corretero, they will advance to the quarterfinals, which will likely be played this week. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm very, you know, it's very strange, the whole thing with Bruce Arena, not something that I think anyone has really any information on. You know, I tried talking to John Veneziano, who's been on the pod a couple times, uh, to talk Revolution, and, you know, he didn't really have any answers either. That kind of is just a, a strange thing, I guess. Um, you know, obviously... You take any of the any type of allegations like this seriously, um, so it's I don't know it's hard to know whether Bruce returns to coaching the team. You know what the findings of this probe are, um, and you kind of just have to go from there. But you know this is a Revs team that you know has remained focused, you know throughout some of these distractions or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so. See how they do tonight, 8 o'clock start on FS1 at Gillette Stadium. So I think it's going to do it for the Revs. going to move on to talk a little bit about the Bruins. And then there's also a Celtics item I wanted to get to as well. So the Bruins coming to terms with Jeremy Swayman through arbitration. Um, and also coming to terms with Trent Frederick, I think, before he reached arbitration. So... Bruins entering the season now, looks like, with just over 400000 in cap space, as Frederick signed for two years at $2.3 million, and Swayman getting one year at $3.475 million. So, I think, you know, happy that the Bruins could come to terms with both of these guys. Um, you know, Swayman, I feel like... <clears throat> is someone that the Bruins will come to long a long-term agreement with him next summer, you know, when the team has more cap space and you kind of have a better idea of, you know, the goalie that he's going to be. You know, I think if he has another season like he did last year, then I think it's obvious, okay, you need to bring him in, sign him long-term, make him your number one. Kind of curious to see what Allmark's season looks like this year. You know, is he healthy? Is he performed the way that he did last year? Um, you know, I think it'll be curious to kind of see that goaltending market through the duration of the season and into the offseason. You know, can the Bruins get something for Allmark, who's, you know, 30 years old, making $5 million, only making $5 million for two more seasons? You know, could the Bruins look to get creative? You know, I think they're going to have a lot more breathing room next summer. So I think... It's not like, okay, you have these decisions that are, you know, greatly affecting the team that you have to, you have to be smart um, about how you're spending money. So I think good to have them both sign Swayman and Olmark because I think with this team kind of being centered deficient, you know, defense and goaltending are going to be the most important things for this team this year. That if they are going to, 
you know, stay afloat and stay in the playoff conversation. You know, that's how they're going to win games. They're going to win games with illegal tending and elite defense and maybe getting some goals here and there from, you know, kind of your bottom six, maybe some of your young guys. Make no mistake, this is still a team that can, you know, score a lot of, score a lot of goals. David Pasternak is David Pasternak, and he's going to score a lot of goals. You know, Jake DeBrusque, I think, takes another jump this year. I think Zaka is going to do really well uh, production-wise. So, you know, with with the guys that you signed this summer, you kind of just see see what you can get. You know, because I think really most of these guys are kind of just a filling a roster spot just to get you over to next summer when you can spend and really kind of, you know, fill the holes on the roster. I didn't feel like the Bruins really had a lot of room to maneuver with this summer. So it just was like, okay, you do what you got to do. Try to see if you can remain competitive. And I think even if they're not, even if they're like 500 or worse, it's one season of this. And I think that they're going to be, you know, a lot better. You know, it's going to be interesting to see next summer, what they try to do, who they try to sign. Um, but I think, you know, I think some things to think about this season. What does DeBrusque look like? Can he be in line for a long-term deal? You know, Grizzlick's up. Obviously, Swayman will be up. So just kind of some guys to watch for this season. Uh, with the Bruins having very little cap space, could be possible that you see how Someone like Low Ride does in training camp if he's ready to go. You know, could Forbert be moved? You know, could he be bought out? You know, that's kind of something to pay attention to. But I wouldn't think that that happens anytime soon. Maybe that happens in training camp or in the preseason. But I think the Bruins are pretty comfortable to roll with what they have at the moment and kind of just see what you can get. I mean, I think... It is possible the Bruins could open the season with 22 players on their roster as opposed to 23. Um, if they choose to carry 23, you know, then I think there's going to be there's going to have to be some movement. But the Bruins don't have to be cap compliant until the opener, so there's a lot of time. Yeah, you got a little under two months before the season opener. So, you know, again, good to see Swayman and Frederick getting their deals. You know, I think pretty fair. I think Swayman's, for me, was maybe just a little bit high. Um, but I think Frederick, that's pretty good for what he is and what he performed like last year's. So I think this contract tells you that the Bruins think that he can, you know, at the very worst, be similar to what he was last year. So curious to see his development this year. What kind of role does he get put in this year? Um, does he get bumped up at all? Is he still kind of a third-line guy? That's going to kind of be interesting to see. So I think it's going to be it for the Bruins. One little Celtics thing I did want to touch on. There's a rumor that the Celtics are a team that is interested in Svee Mikhailuk, who is a free agent. I uh, may remember him from his time at Kansas. Bounced around the league a little bit, played for... The Lakers, the Pistons, the Raptors, Thunder, and the Knicks. So, kind of a, a wing player, pretty good shooter. You know, shot 42% from three this year, 36% for his career, uh, only 252 games. So he's not really stuck around anywhere, but I think just kind of a decent guy to take a flyer on, if that's the case. It sounds like he's choosing between the Celtics. Um, or a team over in Greece. So be interesting to see. I mean, the Celtics do have two open roster spots at the moment. Could possibly have three with Luke Cornett's salary. I don't think it's guaranteed. So, you know, it's possible that the Celtics have three. Um, you know, kind of an end-of-the-bench type of guy. You're kind of just seeing what you have. You know, at worst, he's on this team as kind of a training camp body and you just see what he what he can do you know I think his skill set being a shooter you know makes sense I think the 
Celtics are always a team that are looking for, for guys who can shoot and defend a little bit. So, you know, again, kind of just an end-of-the-bench guy that I don't think is going to impact the team very much, but could be worth taking a flyer on. So interesting to see if the Celtics and uh, Mikhailu come to an agreement at some point. So I think it's going to do it. We're going to take a look around some notes, starting with the NFL. Uh, Panthers rookie quarterback Bryce Young, first overall pick in this month, or in this this past year, this past month, this past April's draft, uh, will start the uh, preseason opener for the Panthers. Uh, Panthers also coming to terms on a contract with Justin Houston the uh, former Ravens and Chiefs edge rusher. The Vikings signing uh, former Patriots first-round pick Nikhil Harry to their roster. Uh, Logan Wilson getting a new deal with the Bengals. Uh, DeMarcus Ware among... Um, DeMarcus Ware, Darrell Revis, Zach Thomas, Joe Thomas among some of the players that were inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend. So that was that's always kind of a neat thing to pay attention to, you know, guys who were really good players in their time in the league. So uh, definitely congratulations to all those guys that got elected this past weekend. So the Hall of Fame game was also last week. Browns beating the Jets 21-16. to Actually going to take a look at some uh, preseason games that will go on starting on Thursday. So Patriots and Texans, and then the Vikings and the Seahawks. On Friday, you have a couple games. Green Bay, Cincinnati, Denver, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay. Saturday, you have some games. Uh, Colts and Bills, Titans and Bears, Jags, and... Cowboys, Eagles, and Ravens, and then Sunday, uh, Chiefs and Saints and 49ers and, Ra and uh, Raiders. Some games this weekend. Some games will be on NFL Network if you are itching uh, to watch some preseason football. I'll talk a little Major League Baseball. Josh, jo Josh Young, the Rangers rookie all-star. Fractured his thumb yesterday. He's going to go see a specialist. Um, Carlos Rodon made a start for the Yankees yesterday. Had to leave with a hamstring issue. Um, and will have an MRI. If you uh, were paying attention to baseball over the weekend, you may have noticed that there was a, a brawl. Some punches thrown between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. That was uh, pretty entertaining. If I do say so myself, I know that we don't often get to see, you know, baseball brawls, but uh, they're pretty entertaining, and this was pretty entertaining. Uh, if you saw the replay, uh, Tim Anderson uh, squares up like a boxer, and I have never, never seen that in my entire life watching baseball, so that was kind of crazy to watch. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that you look it up, because it's uh, pretty entertaining. So, we'll take a look at some standings. In the AL East, the Orioles, winners of four straight, have a three-game lead over Tampa Bay for first place there. Minnesota leading the AL Central by four and a half games over Cleveland. So they have pushed themselves into first by a decent margin. The Rangers, six straight wins. They are in first in the AL West. Two and a half games over Houston. Atlanta still setting the pace. Still setting the pace in the NL East. A ten and a half game lead over the Phillies. The Brewers leading the Cubs and the Reds by a game and a half for first place in the National League Central. The Dodgers lead the West by four games over the Giants. Now we'll switch, switch to the wild card. Things are pretty crazy in the National League. You have San Francisco and Philadelphia in those first two spots. And then Chicago and Cincinnati tied for that final spot. 
Then you have Miami, who's a half game out, Arizona, a game and a half, and San Diego, three back. So things get very interesting there. A little more cut and dried in the American League, in the American League with Tampa Bay, Houston, and Toronto holding on to those final wild card spots with Seattle, two and a half back, the Yankees, four and a half back, and the Red Sox, five back. So, get to some NHL notes. There was a pretty big trade yesterday with uh, Eric Carlson going to the Penguins in a three-team trade that was uh, involving, obviously, the Sharks, the Penguins, and the Montreal Canadiens. So there's find. So here you go. So the Carlson going from San Jose to Pittsburgh. Uh, San Jose getting Mikhail Granlund, Mike Hoffman, Jan Ruda, and a conditional first round pick back. And then Montreal, or excuse me, Pittsburgh. In addition to Carlson, Pittsburgh received Rem Pitlick, a prospect, and then a third round pick. And then Montreal getting Casey DeSmith, Jeff Petrie, a forward prospect, and a second round pick in 2025. So each side getting something. You know, I think you could call the Penguins the clear winner in this trade, I guess. Although I was kind of surprised that they traded DeSmith uh, in this deal. So, you know, obviously Carlson, tremendous talent won the Norris Trophy for the third time this year. You know, his skill set precedes itself, but not the best defensive guy. And just in my opinion, I don't think Pittsburgh has a lot of great defensive defensemen on that team. So it's like, yes, a lot of talent. Absolutely, that power play is going to be a death sentence. Good luck to anyone defending that. But I don't know if it really makes the Penguins better. Like, are they going to be a playoff team? Probably but it's just like they weren't a good team last year, and I don't think I really trust Tristan Jari and that defense, so i kind of not sure. But, you know, obviously it's a huge swing uh, for Pittsburgh, which I think is trying to take advantage of kind of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang window kind of maybe closing a little bit. So pretty aggressive swing there. Speaking of aggressive swings, the... Uh, Capitals coming to terms with Tom Wilson on a seven-year deal. That was kind of surprising to me. Um, just, you know, play style for for Wilson and just kind of where Washington is. You know, Wilson's had some injury issues in the past, so kind of curious about that deal. Uh, Jake Gensel for the Penguins will miss the beginning of the season as he just had ankle surgery. So I think... Some quick NBA notes. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr., it sounded like, was voted as the uh, best player for Team USA in the uh, like training camp as the World Cup uh, will start. I think maybe in a couple weeks he's part of that uh, USA basketball team that will compete in the FIBA World Cup soon. Um, Actually, I have to double-check when that starts. Um, Anthony Davis and the Lakers reaching a, a, reaching, reaching a $186 million extension uh, through 2028. So giving him an extension of $62 million a year on average, which, shocker, is uh, more than Jalen Brown's contract. So he isn't the highest-paid player, I guess. I thought it was going to be longer than, or I didn't think he was going to be the highest paid player for long. I didn't think it was going to be this quick. So uh, Davis getting a new deal with the Lakers. Uh, Ricky Rubio is pausing his career to focus on his mental health. I think he was slated to play for Spain in the World Cup, but he's taken a step away. The NBA Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony um, is this weekend on Saturday. Dwayne Wade will be part of that class. I'm blanking on who else is a part of that class, but Wade will be part of that. 
So I think before we let you folks go, can I give you an update on the Women's World Cup? Unfortunately, Team USA's uh, tournament came to a close with a shootout loss yesterday morning to Sweden. A really tough loss for Team USA. It felt like, you know, they had, I think for the majority of the tournament struggled to kind of maintain any consistency. But from what I saw, it seemed like they played better um, in that knockout game against Sweden, unable to find a goal. I think a Swedish goalkeeper made a couple of unbelievable saves. So Team USA falls in the shootout, a couple of misses um, in the shootout, which is tough, you know, I think. To be perfectly honest, you know, watching shootouts on TV, it looks like it's so easy, but it really must not be, I think. To miss the whole goal twice, you know, it must be harder than it looks, is kind of what I'm going to say. But, you know, it's a tough way to go out because I think the team could have felt confident that, okay, we started to figure it out and play better in this last game, but ultimately just couldn't find that goal in the run of play and then couldn't execute um, in the penalty shootout. So Team USA goes home. I think, you know, obviously it's tough. We want to see them perform well, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it might be good for women's soccer to see another country win, you know, and see, you know, other teams becoming, you know, just as good as Team USA. I mean, I think clearly we've seen that in the last two World Cups in particular, but a tough way to go out for Team USA, but definitely uh, worth watching the rest of the tournament. Take a look at the uh, bracket currently. I believe that... I think there was... Take a look at this. I think there were two games this morning. Um, Australia beating Denmark 2-0. Um, and then England beating Nigeria in penalties. The tournament will resume on Thursday night. Spain and the Netherlands start the quarterfinals. Oh, actually, no, I misspoke. There are two games tomorrow morning. Colombia and Jamaica for the right to play England in the quarterfinals. And then France and Morocco with the right to play Australia in the quarterfinals. And then the other quarterfinals are set, Spain and the Netherlands, and then Japan and Sweden. So I think we might think, think that's gonna do it for me this week. Um, oh, that's right, I forgot. I uh, should have said this at the top, but I was going to debut a new segment on the podcast. We did this last week. Uh, so what we're gonna do today is uh, look at a birthday or say happy birthday to a uh, professional athlete that has some connection uh, to Boston sports. So there is someone today whose birthday, uh, there's someone whose birthday is today and has a uh, connection to the Red Sox in more ways than one. Edgar Renteria turns 47 years old today, obviously played for the Red Sox in 2005, 153 games for the Sox, eight home runs, 70 RBIs. Played in a postseason as well. Um, so, you know, obviously Edgar's uh, stint with the Red Sox was pretty forgettable. Um, I think it was very poor defensively, but, you know, had a hand in the Red Sox. Uh, winning the 2004 World Series. So he was the uh, final out, if you can remember, and uh, also, you know, hit the walk-off hit in 1997 for the Marlins. So he's um, involved in two World Series endings. Uh, but yeah, happy birthday, Edgar. 47 years young today. So uh, yeah, we'll maybe do these segments every once in a while. We'll try to do something new each week. So... It's good. That's going to do it for me. Um, you know, as always, listen where you can. You know, follow the social pages if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with you folks for Guest Friday later this week. Probably a good chance 
that the episode is out on Saturday, but we will have it out for you. Uh, so we'll talk to you then.